podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. The Celtic Exchange, a fresh insight on Celtic Football Club. Almost 25 years ago to this very day, a young Norwegian striker named Harold Bratback stepped onto the path of a Jackie McNamara cross, steered the ball into the back of the St Johnson net and in doing so, firmly cemented his place in Celtic's history books for all eternity. The date was the 9th of May 1998 and as we all know, this was the day that Wim Janssen's Celtic stopped the 10, thanks in large to Scandinavian strikers Henrik Larsson and Harold Bratback. Now, a quarter of a century later, I'm delighted to be joined by writer Jim Orr and actor James McInerney, who are returning with the Bend It Like Bratback play to celebrate one of the most important seasons in our modern history. Guys, welcome both to the Celtic Exchange. Jim, first off, does it feel like 25 years since that famous day at Celtic Park? Aye, it does. It does. <laughs> we brought it back, uh, well, we first put it on in the 20th anniversary, and at the time James was thinking, well, we didn't want to come and see this because it's so long ago. But uh, we did, we did. And... Uh, when you do look back at that season and that particular game, uh, it's made such a difference moving forward because, you know, I would say it's like next to Lisbon, it's the most important season in Celtic's history. And that game, it's like the most important game played at Celtic Park uh, because of the consequences of what would have happened if we'd have lost that. Because uh, we've got a game in a couple of weeks' time and I guarantee you that if we'd have lost that game, another end of the stadium at Hamden would be 10 in a row. No 10, 11 in a row, 12 in a row, 13 in a row. Because they had won 10, they won 11, 12, 13 because Advocat was coming in. They're going to spend a lot of money. So, uh, yeah, big day, big goal. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I think we, we speak to loads of folk, you know, just through what we do here, Jim, in the podcast. And guys who have lived through some huge Celtic memories, including, you know, European Cup wins and, and going to European Cup finals in 1970, albeit we didn't win that one. Loads of different Celtic memories, but so many put 1998 and stopping the 10 down there. Mm-hmm. Mostly because, yep, the day in itself was so important and so emotional. But as you say, there's stuff beyond that that might not have happened had Celtic not stopped the 10. James, what about yourself? Are the memories of that day still as vivid? Uh, for me, actually, I can, I can still remember it really clear. I think it was such a, a momentous day that it will always stay with us, I think. Uh, I've just, like Jim said as well, I think stopping that was probably, apart from Lisbon, one of the most important uh, parts of being a Celtic fan and one of the most important moments uh, to watch that. And thank goodness... The outcome happened the way it did because I think we would still be getting uh, pelters for it at this moment in time. Yeah, I was uh, talking to someone recently about it and I actually watched some of the clips of that game just before uh, you know doing this recording with you lads today and actually I still get a wee bit nervous. <laughs> there was a moment in the game at 1-0, so obviously Henrik scores very early bells and there's a moment where Giorgio Boyle has a real chance mm-hmm. and I was at the game and, and I remember at the time and I still remember the, the feeling now and I know the end result, but I still get nervous in it. There was so much at stake, wasn't there, Jim? What you tend to find is anyone comes to see the play, because it's such a roller coaster season, they come out shattered. <laughs> it's like, oh, we live through that all again. But the thing was, James and I met Harold uh, just before COVID. He was over. Uh, he's, he's desperate to see it. And uh, we're chatting to him. And I still don't think he gets how big it was. I really don't think he gets how big that was, because if he turned it on its head, what if he'd have missed it? What if he could have saved it? And what was St Johnson equalising in the last minute? He would be, you know, he would be the most hated man in the world for the last 25 years. He'd have been to blame for that. So it was huge. And I still don't think he gets it. He's, I mean, he says he gets it, but no, you don't get it. It was huge. See, if you watch him celebrating, it absolutely chimes in with that because he's so nonchalant about it. You know, Henrik jumps in his back. And I actually think Henrik is a, is a good teammate, does a, a brilliant thing. He, he's pointing Point down at yeah. Harold Bratpack as in this guy's the man here. He's, he's made it secure. Bratpack's 
cutting about like he's just scored the fourth and <laughs> a, a run of them all win against Wraith Rovers. I think he was just pleased to score it. I think, as you know yourself, watching that season, he scored a lot of goals, but he missed a lot of chances. Mm-hmm. He divided the support and he didn't score many goals that were vital goals. You know, he scored in the game against Kilmarnock, he scored four goals. Other games scored two here, two there. But it was never like a kind of last minute goal. I think Simon Donnelly, Craig Burley scored last minute goals, which were vital. Mm-hmm. He never scored a big goal. And that was a big goal because, as you know, we'd waited nine years, nearly 10 years of, of just horrible, horrible stuff. And, and with 18 minutes after he scored the goal, we'd been 18 minutes to enjoy it. Yeah. And then Wim leaves and that was it back to scratch. So it was huge. I mean, you do look back on it and you do look back on the season and the play plots all that, you know, because we're top, they're top, hearts are top. It's going back and forth, back and forth. Big incidents in the season, games getting postponed and, and that does us a favour. So... Yeah, I just still don't think he gets how big it was. Yeah. I think you mentioned about even watching the clips being nervous. We can feel that on stage. Like, as uh, Jim has got a great bit when it flashes up every sort of league position and where the points are and all that. And as the, as the games are getting closer and closer to it, you can feel the audience still, like you said, as if they're loving it, reliving it, but they're actually going through it for the first time. They're really nervous, worried about are we going to win the next game? And they, they know the outcome. It's almost like watching Titanic. You know how it's going to end, but you can feel it on stage as the actors. You can feel the audience getting more sort of getting more apprehensive and worried about what's going to happen next. And obviously, the outcome speaks for itself. Yeah, I mean, there was so much riding on that day, but thankfully, we all know that it, that it went the way we hoped. So we'll talk a bit more about the day itself in the the ninety seven ninety eight season just a wee bit later on. But before all that, Jim, the Bend It Like Bratback play returns to the Kerrydale Suite at Celtic Park in June of this year to mark that big 25th anniversary. But can you take us back a wee bit and tell us about how the project first came to be? I think it debuted in 2018. 2018, yeah. Uh, I've only started writing plays about, about eight years ago or so. In my day, I was to write a play about Lisbon. 50th anniversary was coming up. So about 2015, I started writing. Uh, spent a lot of time looking at 1967 and then thought, loads of people write plays about Lisbon. And I changed my tack. And I'm a big fan of the Scotland team. I know the Scotland team since, tends to divide the Celtic fans, but I'm a big fan. And the Wembley 67 with Scotland beat England 3-2. It's like the biggest kind of high watermark for Scotland. So I ended up waiting and played about that. And we called it Ben like Baxter. Baxter being Jim Baxter mm-hmm. of, the, of, the, of the title. And once I'd done that and I put it on and, and tried to figure out how, how, do you, how do you go about putting a play on? How do you get actors? How do you do all this kind of stuff? So I did that and it kind of went okay. I kind of one night thing. But then I thought, I'm going to write the Celtic play. An anniversary. What anniversary do you pick? We'll do it for 1998. So you look back and... The centenary season was an obvious one because that was going to be like uh, the the anniversary of that, 1988. But then you think that season, that's that's the season. So writes this play, kind of like it's a bit quirky, it's a bit off the wall, it's a bit mad mostly. And uh, I then think how to put this on. Uh, and my sister's in; she's actually an actress and she knows a lot of uh, people in the acting game. Recommended James, and then just that's, she gave me James contact details. So I send it to James and don't know James basically. And says, "Why have a look at this, mate?" and See what you think of it, type of thing, and just you know, when you're somebody who's never written very much, and you're just you know, and I'd seen James in the Silks and Seville, and in fact, watching the Silks and Seville, it was a wee bit of a spark, thinking this looks pretty good. I could maybe have a go at doing something like this, and if it's a Celtic thing as well, how much fun would that be? So, I send the script to James, and then I wait to see how he gets on. And, and over to you, James. James. Yeah, like I've I've been lucky enough to already been in a few Celtic shows, and uh, I get sent some scripts sometimes from Celtic fans or whatever and obviously I read I try and read it I'm, I'm not like inundated with offers or anything so I try and read just about anything that comes in and uh, I read Jim's and it did stand out it looked completely for the rest of them I think most of the Celtic stuff I've been involved in before sort of the, the club is the, the main theme 
But with Jim's, it was about a family and how this season affected not just the, the father of the family, but how it affected the whole family and how it affected his life. So I think just for that alone, it was something totally different because most of the Celtic players had, had been about the team or, 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 or about the club. Whereas this was about this family and how Celtic impacted their relationship and that totally stood out for me yeah it's about, it's about a guy who's obsessed who, who's a uh, mental health is as short whose physical health is as short he's nine years nine years of going through this and and it's hard to convey that to younger Celtic fans and that was the issue that we found that when people came to see it and they brought their their sons or their daughters who were maybe 19, 20 they couldn't get their heads round what do you mean Celtic was so bad I, I don't understand what do you mean how come Rangers are going for 10 in a row. I really don't understand this. So it's a bit of an education from that point of view. But it's about obsession because the guy's obsessed. And what Laurie Vensi, who's who's the main the main man, he plays the character called Tam Lyons, who's, you know, end of his terror. Uh, and he was telling me that, that comedy is about, is about recognition. That's about recognising something. And a number of people who've said to us, that's my dad, that's my granda, that's me, that's my, that's my mate, that's mm. whoever it is, that's who it is. Because... As you know yourself as a Celtic fan, it is an obsession. It is an obsession that you can't control. You know, and if you lose a game of football, that's your mood <laughs> down until the next game. And even after the next game, you're still thinking about that game that you just lost there. And you watch the game on Sunday, there people will be moaning about that goal coming that scored. Mm -hmm. You're on social media, people are complaining. You know, you've lost that goal against Coman, like people are going mad. So imagine, imagine nine long years of no one in the league. And there's no light there. There's no light at the end of the tunnel. Absolutely no light at all. You know, because if you go back to that season, when the season's about to start, Tommy Burns has been sacked. Van Hoydonk got off his mark a few months before that. Decanio says he's not coming back. Cadet says he's not coming back. Paul McStay, who's into Celtic's greatest ever team, he has to retire. Imagine being Paul McStay. Imagine being Paul McStay and having nine years where you're the best player in the country. You're an iconic Celtic player. You're the captain of Celtic and you haven't won the league. Paul McStay, Peter Grant, another one as well. Imagine being in their shoes because they're not just players, they're big fans as well. Nine whole years, different from maybe the Tommy Burns or the Roy Aitkins, people who were you're there for a bit of that, had a bit of success before that. But those are Paul McStay's main years mm -hmm. and to get through that. And his fans, he went through the same thing as well, having to endure that. And there was no light at the end of the tunnel. So we've got no manager, we've got hardly any players. They just went out and signed Negri and Amaruso, Perini. This spent 13 million quid to add to Gascoigne and Loudrop. And, you know, people talk about Lisbon. And Lisbon's a fairy tale, absolutely. But we had no right to win the league in 97, 98. When you look at the obstacles that were in front of us that year, absolutely no right at all. And if you're the character in the play, you're, you're Tom Lyons, who's basically life's over. It's like a tsunami coming towards you. There's the 10. There's the 10. And... There's a line in the play which uh, James says to the character, uh, if they win the 10, they'll not, be, they'll not be ripping the pish for a few weeks or a few months or a few years. It'll be all for all fucking eternity. You know, and that's what it would be like. And that's why I said that would be the banners at Hamden next week, 10 in a row, 11, 12, 13. Because they wouldn't, as I said, they wouldn't have stopped it at 10. And they'd have, they'd have put a number on there that nobody would have touched. Because imagine we blew it that day. <laughs> you know, we'd have just went into our shells and, you know, it would have been 11, 12, 13, 14. That'd right. have been the number. And thankfully it wasn't the number. And that's why, you know, it is up there. Not because of winning the league, but of the consequences of not winning the league. That'd have been just like, you know, 
disaster. You were taking me to some very dark places there, Jim. The thought of <laughs> well, in actual fact, the play. Just to be fair, the play is really, really funny. Yeah, the play's yeah. a comedy. I mean, it's, it's mostly comedy. Every page has got a number of jokes in it, but underneath that, you you're feeling Tam Lyons' pain because basically he's he's suffering. He's suffering. And just on that very note, James. So you touched on it, Jim. Folk of a certain vintage, a certain age. Hashtag we are all timelines. You know, we, we've <laughs> yeah. all kind of experienced that. And I, I was born in '81, right? So I kind of went through my kind of teen years just watching Rangers win league after league. And, and you know, your lads will be much the same. Do you feel on that very note, James, it resonates more with folk of a certain age, or would you know, young folks in their twenties also enjoy it equally? I think I think guys, you're a young youngster, Tino, but the guys are me and Jim's age. Uh, you're a youngster. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I, th- I think for them, they're as I said earlier, they're they're completely reliving this season, and Jim's done a, a good thing. He's put the music of the time in there as well. So you've got like Oasis and Dream, 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 Robbie yeah, Williams, that, Dream, yeah. Robbie Williams. There's loads of brilliant music in it. So yeah, it's more a set, yeah. It's not just the season. Space, it's sort of taking yeah. the, the the audience back. It's the music as well. Going, oh, I remember that song, and and it's not just all the big. We've went for some of the sort of more obscure choices of the music that year of the years 97, 98. So there's some brilliant songs that like even when we were rehearsing, Jim's like, I'm going to put this in. Oh, I remember where I was when that, and that ties in with that game. So I think, obviously there's millions in it for the young audience that weren't even born of the season that happened, but the guys that have, that have been there and lived it, it's, it's a, I think it's a brilliant uh, play for them to come and see. But as I say, it's, and what's great about it, it's about family, it's about a, a father, the main thing's around a father and daughter. So there's plenty in it for like, the whole Celtic fan, not just like the guys who were there or went to the games, the guys and girls that went to the games that season. There's enough in it because about this family that everybody can relate to, even if you weren't born when it was on. Mm-hmm. From your own point of view, James, getting the chance to combine your love of Celtic with you know your acting talent must be a bit of a you know a perfect scenario, is it? It is. I, it's been. I've been so as, as I said, I've been so lucky that I've been I've been asked to do a few Celtic plays, and uh, I, it's it's brilliant. And you just have to be careful that. <laughs> You just don't end up doing this for the rest of your life, just being that sort of guy that does the Celtic plays. But no, it's great, and it, to, it's the closest I'll ever get to this. some of the times that the, the guys in the audience uh, they join in with the songs, and and it feels like you're actually at a game. And so it's the closest I'll ever get to fans watching me play football. Hmm. And I was going to ask how you you first became involved, but Jim's mentioned there, so he sent the script across to you and. Aye, aye, so I had a read it, and then uh, Jim, I, I got back to Jim and said like, oh, I think there's something in it, and. No disrespect to Jim, but it was quite a, a, one of his first sort of plays, and there was a lot over. I thought it was a lot of stuff sort of overwritten and stuff that could have been taken out to make it a bit sort of trimmer and a bit and get to the sort of gags a bit quicker. And I said, look, I've got a guy for this Tam Lines uh, who I think would be absolutely perfect. He had worked with me before, and as Jim mentioned Laurie Ventry, who's one of Scotland's sort of best actors, if not the best actor of his generation. I'm just saying that because he will be listening to this. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, he's only he's only actor of his generation's left, I think. So that's how he's the best. <laughs> but no, and then, and I gave it to Laurie, and, and Laurie's he's written and edited loads of stuff. And he he was a guy who said, "I we need to take this out, take that." And sort of Jim, to be fair to Jim, let us sort of do Cap Blanchett and trim it down and get it to where it is now. Yeah, and is that kind of support, Jim? You mentioned I didn't realise you you're you know like failing you to the, the script writing side of things has that support from uh, Laurie and James been vital to you? Oh I, oh I, I mean you, you, you can I don't realise I mean the, the, the kind of question I mean I was just full of questions how does, how does this work and how do you get to that and whatever and and you, you have to pick your moments because you're dealing with people with Laurie as, as, as James says has been acting for about four decades and, and James is a kind of experienced actor as well and, and I'm no this is a hobby for me so you're having to pick your moments at rehearsals and you're thinking I'll jump in now and see, see if you maybe did 
that a bit like this and maybe if you do that and and then sometimes they say, oh, if you're a clown or something, well, it's not a bad idea. So so that's been a learning process as well. And good fun because this is good fun. It's like a hobby and, and to kind of watch people, I mean, all it is is a daft free play, but when these guys get hold of it, they bring it to life and, and Laurie goes off his head basically and at times I'm thinking I'm actually a bit concerned for him because he does go and even in rehearsals he goes off his head and I'm just a bit because you know he gets right into the character there's about six I think there's six scenes that are at the matches you know and he's just goes into it and uh, you know and, and some of the lines that, that actually on the page aren't particularly funny but then the way he says them they become really funny yeah, I'm thinking of, I've got a couple with there's a story I tell is that the second game of the season from Fairman, mm-hmm. as you recall, uh, easily, I think, one of the uh, games I've been to has been the most abuse I've ever heard at Celtic Park. Because of that tsunami of the 10 that's coming, we've lost the Hibs with the Charnley goal and Dunfermline are playing us off the park and we're 2-1 down and we're going to lose the first two games of the season. That's the 10. That's basically the 10. And there's a couple of these things that it's in, it's in, it's in the script. It's just... Uh, well, fuck off, Janssen, take that wee fanny Larson way, you know. So, and at the end of the day, we lose the game. And he just says, right, up the fucking road. And I get such a huge laugh because he's so, so frustrated. And he, he looks up and he says, God, why? Why me? <laughs> you know, what have I done to deserve this? You know, so he's just at the end of his tether. Uh, and I've learned so much doing this because when you learn that, you think, well, next one I do. I know to do this, and you're overwritten absolutely, because uh, you learn that that you don't want too many people, you don't want too many scenes, you don't want too many words, you don't want too much conversation. You you want it zip 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 zip, and you can't have too much kind of dialogue. So it's been a huge learning experience for me, and it's been brilliant. And to get the chance to actually watch the guys rehearse it, never mind put it on, it's been brilliant. Yeah, James, tell us about. More about your own character, Matt Christie, I believe, and your role in the play. Am I right in saying that he's not a massive football fan initially, but gets dragged into that world? Aye, so like, because it's about this father and daughter who are obviously die-hard Celtic fans and, and the rest of the family as well, I, I end up, my character ends up meeting the, the daughter at a Tina Park. And uh, we get chatting and she realises that she's a mad Celtic fan as well and she realises that I'm more a sort of rugby guy. But uh, she, she would use of put me put any guy any rugby guy that's involved uh, been involved in the past I think they've been shot down right at the start but for some reason she she likes me and she gives me a second chance and eventually brings me home to meet the madman that is Tam Lines and then uh, there's a bit of a twist for my character but uh, I can't really say too well, much spoil it, it yeah. but, uh, there's a bit of twist I don't know if the guy maybe is going to go back to rugby or is he going to be football but you just have to come and see it and see what the twist is but he gets embroidered this whole family and, and uh, I it turns out quite good in the end for them all, I think. Jim, from a, a writer's point of view, how much do you lean on real life experience in some of the characters that you've met, you know, in your Celtic supporting life across the years when you're writing these characters into your plays? I think it's easier as if it's of a time that you remember. So I remember 1978 pretty well. I've written another Celtic play about 1965, which I wasn't there at the time, so there's a lot more research involved in that. But having been there and having been through it all, it was, and I've got quite a good memory for things, so it's fairly easy uh, in terms of writing that because you knew how you felt during the games. And I think it's like any Celtic fan watching any Celtic game, you know, unless until you're three goals up, you're kind of thinking, this will be a disaster. Just don't lose another goal. And I just, so 
you are obsessed and it is an obsession. So, and it's fairly easy to, to, to take that obsession, I think, and put it on the page. And it's about trying to think of funny lines that kind of come from that. Uh, and the dynamics of the family make it quite funny and and the kind of plots within this. Once you come up with a kind of, a kind of off-the-wall plot, a lot of the stuff kind of takes care of itself because you think, oh, this will be good because I can do this and I can do that and that will mean he does that and then he'll say this. And then, as I said earlier, what actually becomes dead interesting is, is that somebody will say a line and it gets a big laugh and you think, where'd that come from? I don't understand that. And uh, it's a kind of references to someone else. And back to back to 65, Dunfermline were a really good team and there's a line in a different play that says, what chance have we got against a good team like Dunfermline? That gets a big laugh. But Dunfermline are a better team than Celtic in 65. But it's what the actors do with the lines that, that kind of make it work because, you know, you could have the best play in the world but if the actors don't then take that on then it wouldn't it wouldn't get if it's if it's a bad script to start off with you've got no chance <laughs> but if it's a half decent script in the hands of really good actors then it's always got a chance and I think a Celtic play you're pushing at an open door I think to, to get people in there but once you've got to, once you get them in there you've got to give them something that's a wee bit different and I think this is a wee bit this is a big bit different because as James alluded to earlier a lot of the plays that I'd seen end up as a bit of a sing-song and You've only got to mention a player's name and it was like, you know, well, that was the day Jimmy McGrory scored eight. Jimmy McGrory! And, and we, <laughs> Jimmy, Jimmy! And it becomes a bit like that. And I was, I was keen to avoid doing that. And although, I mean, Harold's keen to come and see it, but <laughs> most of it is pretty kind of anti-Harold stuff because we were a fan back in 1978. As I said earlier, he <laughs> divided opinions at the time, you know. So there's a few things that hopefully Harold will take it in good spirit. That, <laughs> that, that It's all part of the... It's all part of the play, Harold Donald. I, I wonder how that phone call goes. One, one, <laughs> one fly from Norway to Glasgow to hear a well, play. Well, he's coming to see it. I mean, I, I'd kind of, that was a, one of the first things I did was uh, I managed to contact Harold via, via Facebook and uh, just said, Jim, I've written this play called Ben Lee Brat Back. Dad, long story short, he ends up sending him a poster, so he poses with the poster, so I got a poster on Harold. And then uh, as it went on and on and on, uh, he said, I'd love to come and see this. It sounds great, etc. Et and I asked him, would you mind making a wee video? And he made me a wee video as well. Uh, that's all I'll say about the video so far okay. but uh, yeah he's been great and as I said he was coming across to do some sort of Scottish Cup duties in January 2020 you lose track of these don't we with Covid and uh, he said he'd love to meet oh, so, so James and I went to see him and I had a chat with the man the, the great man and the plan was next time it's on I'll, I'll definitely come and see it and then Covid hit and that was that so I just hope he realises it's not actually about him no, in case he thinks he's coming to watch his life story I, I, I think he knows that he's anti for the Aye. This is your life, Harold. Well, that's the other thing. That's that's the one drawback about it is the fact that people think it might be the Harold Bratback story, which would be quite a short play. So, so it's no basically. And uh, set in a library, I'm sure. My mates used to call him a librarian because I think when he wasn't playing, he would wear glasses and he looked just quite a studious looking Aye, character. He just didn't look like a footballer whatsoever. That's another line from the play. It looks like a librarian, plays like a fucking librarian. So, yeah, <laughs> so stop getting all the lines. Every sorry, tons more than like that. Yeah. tons more. Just to bring it very much back to the play. So, there's a, a Tam Lyons, his daughter Maggie, and there's Nat Christie. Are any of the characters based on individuals you've met, Jim? Is there a Tam Lyons in your life? I think what we said before, I mean, Laurie seems to think that, that this Tam Lyons is exactly like, sorry, exactly like somebody he knows. Uh, no, it's a bit of an amalgam. It's the fact that after those nine seasons, what, what, as you said earlier, what, we were all Tam Lyons. We were all, we'd got to the point. I think what's different about about the 90s, maybe compared to the 50s or the 60s, is that if you're a Celtic fan in the 50s or the 60s, 
Celtic were never anything. And worldwide, it was as well known as Aberdeen or Hibs. But when you get to the 90s, I mean, Lisbon was only 30 years earlier. So Celtic, once upon a time, were there, and now they're there. So that would affect people much more than if we were, if, if we were never anything and we're still nothing, it doesn't matter. But having been there and we've fallen to there, and if we don't do anything about it, we're going to go down there. And obviously in 94, we could have disappeared altogether. So I think fans were thinking differently at that point in time. Uh, but I think we're all, we were all stressed out of our box. And we did see that tsunami coming. And when you do look back on it, as you said earlier, you're thinking, that so easily could have been different. And then you do look at the games there whereby, you know, the the week before the St. John's game and Rangers lost to Kilmarnock. If Rangers had to beat Kilmarnock, they'd have won the league. They'd have won the league. And you look back, because often you look at things like uh, how the team did, we only at 74 points. You know, and that was uh, Tommy Burns' team that lost the league got 83 points. Uh, the following season they get 80 points so Wim Janssen's team didn't do as well points wise as Tommy Burns' teams but still won lead because the other team didn't perform as well yeah. you know, so all these kind of factors came together and the biggest thing that season was uh, was the first Old Firm game was meant to be played to get cancelled because of Prince of Diana right and we were going through a, I mean that was very early in the season we were just rubbish and we'd have lost that game definitely lost that game and we go nine points down, and we go nine points down, the league's finished. That's it, tens yeah. there. And you mentioned at the, the top of the piece the story of the play is very much a roller coaster, but there is no doubt that season was a genuine roller coaster, as you say. We, you know, we start with two losses, there's all sorts in between, and there's a kind of sticky finish to the season, but we'll get to a lot of that. Uh, James, do you see yourself or any of your pals in any of the characters in the play? I do like I, my uncles and Tam. And it's so well written in the way Laurie does it. I think every everybody, maybe not as extreme as Tam, but everybody can come along to this show and, and see somebody in Tam lines. It's just so well written in the dialogue that he uses, and I think that's that's why it's done so well the, the first couple of times it's been on because everybody can relate to it. But mm. I, anybody that comes along will recognise something in Tam. And a number of Celtic stars past and present have been along to see the play. So including a number of players from that 98 title winning team, you've got Tom Boyd, Simon Donnelly, Jackie McNamara, I think Murdo McLeod as well, who was obviously assistant to Bum Janssen. What's that been like, James? Quite surreal? Ah, it's been great. Obviously coming coming off after the show, you're buzzing anyway, but then coming back and Jim will say, listen, eh, Murdo wants to come up and say hello, or Jackie wants to come and talk, talk to him. Some of the guys have actually came on stage so the fans can appreciate them as well. But I just, for watching it on the screen and loving when Jim flashes up the, the league table and to mention all the players and to actually have some of them in the audience, it's been great. And obviously to meet Pratt back and tell him that the show wasn't about him. Harold. It was Harold. Harold. Um, I also see that legends like Danny McGrain, Bobby Lennox, John Fallon have all been along to support the show. Is that just quite bizarre for you, Jim, as a, a lifelong fan? Aye, because it was quite funny the first time that we did it. Uh, we sold out. And John Farland texted me to say I'd like to come and I said there's no tickets. I know you're a Lisbon line, but there's no tickets. So it was kind of yeah, it was a bit it was a bit surreal. And then the actual thing we put on the second time, uh, I was tidying up and somebody said, Somebody's looking for you. And it was Joe Miller. And Joe Miller gave me a hug, gave me a hug. Joe Miller? Joe Miller gave me a hug. And he said it was brilliant, best best selling I've ever seen. Can I quote you on that, Joe? That's one of the that's one of the posters now. I've seen it. I've seen you know, it. Can I quote you on that? And, and, and he then said, look, uh, he's he's the uh, He's the chair of the FPA. Said if you need anyone to come along, and that was the time I thought, well, Murdo would be good because you're thinking of home base guys because obviously there's a lot of foreign players at the time. And then I was at work the next day. I retired four years ago. So this is like five years ago, 
And I walk the next day, I'm talking to somebody on the phone, he goes, and, I look, and it was Joe Muller. And I said, look, yeah, Joe Muller's just calling me in, he's answer this phone. <laughs> hello, Joe. And Joe said, hello, mate. And I had it on speaker. and said, hello, mate. He's called me mate. <laughs> Joe Muller's called me mate. He said, murder's okay for Sunday. Here's his number. Hold on, I'll write this down. So I've got murder's number. I'm just, I'm just talking to Joe Muller and I've got murder's number now. So I'm doing that, so I've got murder's number on the phone, murder, when I'm talking to murder, I'm talking to murder McLeod. <laughs> and the thing is, in my, in my phone list, uh, I phone my mother every night, uh, mum. So it's mum and then Murdo. So <laughs> you phone Murdo every night? I have to make sure I don't phone Murdo every night. So it's kind of, it's a bit of a, but yeah, it's been, it's been great. And uh, yeah, it's been great. It's been brilliant. It's been good fun. Yeah, and I've seen, there's various pictures of so many characters, even, you know, more recent figures like Stan Petrov and stuff like that. So the support looks like it's been brilliant from the, the Celtic players in general. Looking a bit closer at the 97-98 the season itself, and as we talked about there, it certainly wasn't all plain sailing. We lost the first two games of the season to Hibs and Dunfermline, and the Hibs one is particularly memorable for Henrik Larsson giving the ball away to Chick Charnley. I think he's potentially his first touch, and Chick then bangs it into the net from about 30-odd yards. And are these kind of stories intertwined throughout the, the play then, Jim? Uh, they attend six matches, and uh, as James said, what, what we do... Between each scene, I've made up a video, and the video will have music of that season, and either it will show you the scores that have just happened since the last scene, and then the league table, and as you can imagine, it's like they're in top, we're all hearts on top, type of thing. Uh, some of the games are alluded to. Uh, one of the scenes is that Dunfermline in the second game, and that's where that's when Tam meets meets uh, Nat for the first time because Nat's never been to football match, and again that's your that's your typical duck out of water type of thing imagine imagine going to Celtic Park for the first time the new Celtic Park and you've never been to a football game in your life and it's your girlfriend and her dad's a, a nutter you know it kind of it can writes itself you know when he's trying to understand because I used to sit in the section 411 I mean, I mean 1, 2, 3 now but 411's up in the gods in the north stand and uh, so they're in section 411 and then Tam's explaining to, to Nat about well, the renovations and he's talking about and then obviously he's sitting there completely bemused by then the game starts and as you can imagine Tam Lyons is fucking mental and, <laughs> and he's a kind of sitting kind of just thinking what am I, what am I doing here so yeah so uh, there's, there's six I think, I think the four Rangers games are featured then the St Johnson games featured then and Dunfermline but apart from that there's there's the story that's actually happened with the family and and the football's in the background so there's a number of things happen at the same time you've got the actual factual football season this is what's happened You've got this fictional family, and then you've got a kind of bizarre story that kind of kind of sits atop the whole thing. So it's like a three and one type of thing. But to answer the question, yeah, there are certain games referred to, and uh, yeah. If not for a guy called Craig Falkenbridge, James, this play might have been called Bend It Like Simon Donnelly. Um, obviously, Falkenbridge is famous for equalising for Dunfermline in the second last game of the season after Simon Donnelly had given us a lead that would have won us the league with a game to spare. Uh, but that wouldn't have been as kind of Celtic or dramatic or as much fun with it. That's it. Well, like, uh, writes itself, puts the drama in itself. Because, like you said, to make it easy for us and have a, a last game that we can relax on, that's no, it's never going to be as. as it's good to look back on and say oh, it went down to the wire but uh, no Falkenbridge he gets a good reference in the play uh, it's, it's almost like he said an extra hand helping him uh, score that goal uh, without any spoils but I uh, remember do you remember the beanback that happened at Celtic Park so mm. my dad and my uncle they managed to black tickets for East End Park so they got to the game and myself and a bundle of mates trudged along to Celtic Park I think it was a big screen kind of suspended on the park somewhere 
And it was a miserable day because you were full of hope. And listen, it worked out perfectly. You wouldn't have it any other way now winning the title back at Celtic Park. But that penultimate game against Dunfermline was a horrible weekend. Lovely day, sunny day, all set up, early goal, completely dominating the game and then bang. But but that's that's football. That's why you love football so much because you don't know what's going to happen next. And and that kind of adds to the kind of drama of the whole thing that, you know, without that happening... You don't get the big, the big last act, the big here's Harold to come and save the day. The <laughs> most unlikely of heroes that comes along and, and scores goals. Whereas Simon Dolan scored a lot of vital goals that season, you know, and and although Harold did score goals, it's hard as I said earlier to pinpoint a game where you thought, oh, Harold made a difference there in terms of that that kind of vital goal, and that was his stage, and that was the bit when when the ball hit the net, you're thinking we've won the league, it's finished, I'm not going to do the ten. And breathe, <laughs> you know, you just breathe. Because at half time that game, and you had mentioned that earlier, you look around at half time and the people are just on their faces, you know, just drawing in their faces is like 45 minutes to go, 45 minutes to go. And we knew they were winning at Tannadice and then early in the second half, they got a penalty to go 2 0 up and you know they've won. And you know that one goal is going to just blow 10 years. If they score or stuff, and actually Georgia Boyle thing went close in the first half, oh dear, and just. And all that goes on. Then after an hour, on comes the man, and who'd have thought he gets to go? And as I said, you can just rely. You feel the whole season just going. What was that tagline about? Cometh the hour, cometh the man that you've got at the top of the flyer. He came on after an hour, aye. So that's that's the hour of cometh the hour, cometh the man. Yeah. So that's Harold. We recently looked just on one of our shows about uh, some of Celtic's unsung heroes over the years, and as much as Brat Pack and Larson pick up the headlines for that day, James. Are there any others from that squad in that time who maybe didn't get the credit they deserve? You know, I'm thinking of guys like, I mentioned Rico Anoni, Alan Stubbs, Darren Jackson even, and even Tom Boyd, the captain. You know, these guys kind of went under the radar a bit, didn't they? I thought Tom Boyd is like so underrated. Obviously he was at Chelsea and all that, but I thought he was a brilliant player and like a great captain. And I, Anoni as well, for like two or three seasons, he was brilliant. He was one of the best fullbacks in the league. And then it sort of... It sort of didn't go as well near the end. But aye, uh, it was great players that season. Big Stubbs as well. I thought Stubbs was a brilliant centre-half sweeper, whatever he played, but he, he was brilliant. Yeah. I think also the Tom Boyd situation's fascinating because here's somebody who Paul McStay retires of injury and when Janssen says, I'll make you captain. So you go and captain the team and stop him doing the 10 and you're taking off with Paul McStay. No pressure. No, no, no pressure at all. You know, to take on that, to try and... Uh, galvanise all these new players who were great Burley was brilliant all the guys who were brilliant Burley and Lambert and, and these guys that came in and the Anonis and the Tomboys and the Jackie Max hey, this world, but Tomboys the captain he has to pull them together he's Wim Janssen's lieutenant Murdo was great as well you know so as I said at the top of the show that, that, that we had no right no right at all to win that league they were a settled team a juggernaut you know smashing everyone in front of them but we managed to win the league Unbelievable. What's pretty cool about that season as well is that when when Jansen got appointed, it was almost like when Ange got appointed. Yeah. Everybody was like, who is, who is this guy? When you're, you're dragging up old video footage to try to find when Scotland scored against Holland. And I think he was one of the players, the defenders, when, uh, Archie Gemmel. Aye, when Archie Gemmel scored. But it was, it's, it's almost mirroring what happened with Ange because obviously like, they sort of... I think there's loads of parallels. I think... Um... And they say I was 17 around that time and well, I mean, I had played in a World Cup final, if not maybe True. two. Yeah. yeah. And uh, but you know, such as your kind of myopic knowledge of Scottish football and closer to home, you, you forget that. And, and Ange had managed a world a World Cup before coming to yeah. Celtic. But, but we're caught in our own Scottish football bubble and you don't appreciate 
two real football guys and, and we're blessed to have, I'd say, both of them. Um, I was just going to say as well, we're talking about Tom Boyd a bit there and one of the most striking images from that whole time is just when the ref blows the whistle and Tommy Boyd is right next to him and he just falls to his knees and it's it kind of epitomises how we all felt at that very yeah. moment. Yeah, Probably I mean, he, as I said, he's the captain, so he's 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 the leader of the team. So we were all Tom Boyd, we were all Tom Lyons, we were all Tom Boyd at that point in time. Because again, he's went through maybe not the whole nine seasons, but most of those seasons he was there, you know, and, and he's felt it as well. And I mean, how, how tough must it be if you're a Celtic fan and a Celtic player and to go through that year after year after year? And up to 94, it was just going like that. And then after 94, there's a bit of hope. But even with a bit of hope, and the Tommy Burns here, who only lost the one game, to have not won the league, you must be thinking, we'll never win this. Do yeah. you know when you said about iconic, somebody falling on your knees, like Tom Boyd did? Tommy Burns did the exact same. There's one of the images of Tommy Burns on his knees. Yep. Came up after the game, and like that still sticks with me. He was just on almost praying as soon as the final wish went, he dropped his knees. Yeah. And it's when you realise that, you know, the modern game's changed to a huge extent. Um, but you see, just back then, these were just fans who, I suppose to quote Tommy Burns, you know, a fan who was lucky enough to have made it. Yep. And that's what. It seems to be a Tommy theme here, but Tom Lyons, Tommy Burns, Tom Boyd, <laughs> yep. these guys are all pretty much the same as I would say a lot of us and a lot of the people listening to this just now. Um, moving back to the play, how pleasing is it for you lads to be able to put it on at Celtic Park itself, particularly given that it is a significant anniversary? I obviously take it, I'm taking it home kind of thing, it's, it's brilliant and uh, I've been lucky enough to do another play in there, the Tommy Burns story and uh, we were a wee bit apprehensive about it because obviously it was written for the stage and uh, the Kerrydale Suites not got an actual designated stage so you build your own but the fans seem to love it and for the actors it was great uh, so it's, uh, it's really good to take it back and what's great about this show as well is that some of the proceeds are going to go towards the Celtic Foundation to help the charity with, with their stuff I was going to say just exactly that I believe there is a time with the Foundation but is that a, an important thing for you Jim to, to have that charitable tie-in? Yeah but I mean everything's down to James James is the, James is the kind of Moving and shaking in terms of getting this on to carry deal, which has been brilliant. Yeah, so yeah, if the, if the foundation benefits, then that's 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 fantastic. So uh, yeah, just really chuffed. It's, we're going to do it at Celtic Park because that's we're taking it home, as you said. That's, that's good. James, you mentioned the Tommy Burns story, and I seen you there at the Kerrydale Suite a while back, and I've seen quotes from you talking about the the buzz at the end of the play, and you know you received the applause from a, a Celtic supporting audience, and I think you mentioned it's as close as you could get to you know living that kind of dream. What kind of buzz is that? That's it's unbelievable. Like that show, I've never ever seen a reaction at the end of it. I think, I think because first of all, a wee bit like Tam Lines, everybody can relate to the show because uh, everybody's got a story about Tommy Burns. Even if he weren't born, people have still got stories about Tommy Burns. They can relate to it because they're Celtic fans, but also because of uh, how Tommy passed away with the skin cancer. Everybody's got a story about some kind of cancer affecting their aunties, uncles, or their a direct family so I think with all those put together it's just a combination for, for grown men and women to be bawling their eyes out and like I've never seen so many I'm from Claybank and there's some mad guys for Claybank used to come and see it and I've I have hardly even seen most of these guys smile like, and coming up to me giving a big hug and crying their eyes out saying I've never felt so emotional and not just because the play is, is, is a good play but I think because I've all got a personal connection to the story within it yeah and having seen the Tommy Burns show I can absolutely vouch for that it's, it's littered with humour but very much you know emotional at different times as well this one you know Bend It Like Bratpack is that more the humour element or is there times of the, the emotional roller coaster? it's mental is what I would say. It's a, Put that in your it's, poster. It's, 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 it's first and foremost a comedy, uh, and it's to try and be as funny as possible. Uh, there's a few other, as I said, there's a kind of an off the wall element that comes to that, which makes it uh, easier to. 
become funny. But and it's also telling the story of a season. And I think uh, if you weren't born at that time, then you'll see what that season was like. And if you get through that season, you can through it again. Uh, but you know, there's a happy ending, which is which is good because. I always remember going to see the Celts in Seville and I was standing in a queue and I'd been to see it about three or four times and there was two women talking about it and I said, oh, I've seen it. Uh, it's no very happy ending. Oh, what happens? We beat 3-2. <laughs> so it's kind of, so this is a happy ending because we win and uh, and everything, and you know, everything in the world is, is good for like 18 minutes before it goes pear-shaped. There, there is a beautiful five-minute scene between Tam and his daughter and it's a... Uh, it's basically nothing about the football's obviously in the background, but it's basically her telling her while her, while her dad's been going crazy going to the games and focusing 100% on the games and neglecting his family. She's been through a really personal journey of her own that he didn't even know about because he was so focused on Celtic. And after the show, a lot of women would come up and say, oh, the show was really funny and it was great and we live in that season. But I really liked a bit when Maggie talks to her dad. It's the first time the dad's actually listened to his family and he's neglected him for all those years, so it's a good bit of right in my gym now. It's about obsession again. I mean, every, every, every. I mean, how do you tell if you're a Celtic fan you're obsessed? Because if you're no obsession, you're no Celtic fan. Basically, that's that's my kind of rule of thumb. Basically, and and he just takes it to. I was going to say a different level, but I think most fans are at his kind of level as well. He's just a bit more mental than most, and. Uh, and because he's older as well, because I think what tends to happen, the older you get, I think the more mental you get and the more obsessed you get, actually speaking from experience. So you young guys have got that to come. Uh, and what's actually happening now because of the way the football is, because of the Champions League money, it's different from it was, you know, never mind 25 years ago, uh, 40 years ago, 30, 40 years ago. If you won the league, you won the league. You get into Europe, you might play a couple of games, no big deal. But nowadays there's a £40 million carrot and it's huge and it's a game changer every season you're playing for this £40 million so every Glasgow derby is massive because of the money that's there so it's much much more intense than it's ever been before so if you were obsessed before as I said I was looking at the social media and people going mad about the Kilmarnock goal how can we lose a goal this is ridiculous you think just nine years without winning the league chill Please chill. I think it is true. I think we are. I, I'm getting worse as I get older. I find it affects me more. Yeah. I mean, I think the difference between probably all of us in the room is that we can put a wee bit of a lid and contain it, but as Tam Lyons can't, but I, I think I'm definitely getting worse yeah. as I get older. I mean, you talk about conceding that goal to Kelly, causing uproar. Celtic haven't lost domestically since mid-September and it still rankles with certain folk, maybe myself included. So, <laughs> and I think you're right, you know, in terms of the obsession with Celtic Football Club, you're either all in or all out. There's no in between. It's not a passing interest for folk. You're just, you're all the way in or, or it's nothing at all. Um, just again, to go back to the place, obviously, you know, began life five years or so ago, 2018. What's next for Bendit like Bratpack, James? Is there a future beyond this 25th anniversary, either here or, or further afield? Well, what's great, this is the first time in doing the show that we're actually taking it down south. So we're going to be doing a show in uh, Corby, sort of at the end of May, which is almost like a... For the Celtic shows, it's almost like a wee chance for the actors to sort of dust off the cobwebs and get back in it because we've not done it for a few years. So it'll just be really interesting to see how it goes down down south. I mean, I've been told, I've never been to Corby, but I've been told there's a, there's a big, big Scottish contingent down there. I know somebody who lived there and they called it Little Scotland. Apparently there's a huge is that right? it's, you know, Scottish um, diaspora, is that the word? I don't know. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah that'll be an interesting. Aye, so when, we, uh, when is that taking place? So it's 27th of May. There's two shows on Saturday, which is mad because it's the, the last game of the season when we 
hopefully well, when we get awarded the, the the league title. So it's going to be a great uh, event for the people that can because we've contacted a few clubs down there and it's unbelievable how many, we all know that there's people travel from all over to come to the Celtic Games. But these supporters clubs are saying, listen, we can't really come because the whole supporters club is going up to Scotland for the last game. Which uh-huh. is, it's like we, we know we're, we're, we're so blessed that we've got fans over and we're coming to see the, the Celtic, you know what I mean? But well, like, oh, no, is there anybody going to come? But we've already done quite well with the tickets, so we're looking forward to it. Two shows, one at two thirty, one at seven thirty, and I think the game finishes at quarter to two. So if you're down there and you watch a game, you get forty five minutes in that room to the theatre and come and see it. <laughs> um, and finally, we're obviously a couple of months out from the play uh, coming to the Kerry deal. For anyone linked to get along to that, I think I'm right in saying the dates are Friday twenty third and Saturday twenty fourth of June. There's a matinee and an evening on the Saturday as well. Where can folk get tickets for that, James? And also, um, just in general terms, after that, any final thoughts or comments from yourself that you'd like to share today? Uh, I so the tickets are available on it's a platform called Universe Ticketing, and uh, if you just type in uh, Bennett Lipbratback, the Facebook page will come up, and there's a a, t- a direct ticket link from there. And the posters uh, they've got a wee sort of QR code you can get from there. And uh, I just come and see it. I think it'll be. To be, be great for everybody to relive that season and uh, let's hope we're celebrating another great season. Here's hoping. And I'll link to that as well in the show notes. So, Universal Ticket, and I'll make sure there's a link for anyone that wants to jump on board there. Um, Jim, I know you'll be looking forward to it. And as James says there, hopefully it's landing just a few weeks after a Scottish Cup final win as well. Uh, but in the meantime, any final thoughts from yourself as well? Yeah, I think we win the Cup on the 3rd of June, I think. Is that the 3rd of June? So, <laughs> Very presumptuous. three weeks between then. And the twenty third of June. So if you want your Celtic fix, so you will want your Celtic fix because once, once the season finishes, all you're thinking about is when's this next pre-season friendly coming. When's it, you get Ben like Brat back on in the Kerry Dale suite on the twenty third and the twenty fourth. You're going to relive night seven, ninety eight. You know how it ends, which is good, and it's really funny, and you'll love Tam Lines. So that's. It's actually perfect timing because you're right, you know, when the season finishes, you're thinking, right, pre-season qualifiers, but hopefully, you know. Before the kids' school holidays as well, just right before the kids' holidays. Great, just, great plug. You can't even go and see it. But the, uh, you don't have these qualifiers these days anymore as well, so there's actually quite a long time to wait. Chill, so. oh, chilled out. What better way to fill it than a, a Jim Oren, James McInerney production. Correct. So listen, thanks to Jim and to James for joining us here at the Celtic Exchange today and our very best wishes to all involved in a play which marks a very special time in Celtic's history. Be sure to pick up a ticket at the link ahead of next month's showing and to take that opportunity to relive that special season of 25 years ago. And finally, our thanks to you as always for listening right here on the Celtic Exchange. Network.